you will, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy tonight. We were very close to this passage last week, but this one's going to be a little different. 2 Timothy, and we'll be in chapter 4 tonight. I want to start a new series. It's just going to be three messages. It'll be a very brief series. But this one is uh, about fighting the good fight. And uh, it's going to take a look at three areas of our lives that we must get in order in order to fight this good fight that Paul speaks about. And so we'll be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. <clears throat> All right. And if you will, since it is Sunday, go ahead and stand to your feet, please, as we give honor to God's Word. Our main text is going to be verse 7. And uh, what I'd like to do is um, start at verse 6. All right. Chapter 4, verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought. A good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Father, we thank you so much for the reading of your word again tonight, Lord. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for your, uh, your help, Lord, in our lives. Lord, we're nothing but worms in comparison to you, lesser than worms. But we thank you, Lord, that you've loved us so much that, that Father, you did send your only begotten Son to come and die on that old rugged cross there at Calvary to deliver us from a devil's hell and to give us a home in heaven. And we praise you for that tonight. And, Lord, as we think about the passages we've read and we look into this, this topic of Paul saying he has fought a good fight, I pray, Lord, you'd give us great understanding of the, of the message tonight, Lord, that we would be able to get a hold of it and that we, too, could say at the end of our lives that we have fought a good fight and we have finished our course. Father, may you get glory tonight. May Christ be elevated and exalted, and we pray this in his name. Amen. You're going to be seated. Thank you. Paul's race was at its end as he wrote this letter to Pastor Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a young pastor, Paul was older, and at this point his, uh, his journey with Christ was coming to its end, and I just mean that upon earth, not ultimately, because he, he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he says in verse 6, the time of my departure is at hand. Did you know that's going to happen to all of us at some point or another, that this time will come to an end what little bit of time we have. James said it's but a vapor that appears for a little time. Other passages would say this in the book of Psalms. It says we spend our years as a tale that is told, Psalm 90, verse 9. The idea is that our lives are already sort of past. They're so brief. They're so quick. It's a tale that's told. It's done. It's finished, especially in the eyes of God. The psalmist goes on in chapter 90 to say in verse 12, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. 
because life is a very, very brief thing, but yet it is so precious, we should learn, as the psalmist learned, to call on God and ask God to help us, Lord. Teach us to number our days, to number our days. And then as he concludes the passage there, that we apply our hearts unto wisdom. But what does that mean, unto wisdom, applying our hearts to wisdom? Applying our hearts to wisdom means fighting the good fight. Paul had laid aside everything. I mean, he, he possibly came from a wealthy family. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was renowned. He was well-known. He was respected, and yet he forsook all of that simply for Christ and also even, in fact, shortened the length of what his life could have been had he not followed after Christ. But yet as he comes to the end of his days, when he's about to be put to death for his faith, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Some people have only served Christ for five to ten years and then they've left this world. Others have served Christ for 80 years, 60 years. 50 years, 40 years, 30, 20, it goes all the way. It's a whole grand spectrum of, of years that people have served the Lord. But at the end of life, the best thing is, is to be able to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. These three action words that he uses here in this passage, uh, each of them are individual Greek words. Um, I'm not going to, I don't even know if I want to try to pronounce the first one. Nope, I don't want to try to pronounce it. But it is one Greek word. I'm telling you, it's long. I wrote it down in my notes. It's too much. I, can, I don't even know if I can get it down. But I have fought one very lengthy Greek word. I encourage you to go uh, ask um, uh, Strong's Concordance to say it for you, okay? But anyway, I have fought. I have fought. That's one Greek word. And here's what it means. It means to enter into a contest of some sort. It has this idea of stepping into the ring ready to contend another fighter, ready to fight, ready to struggle, ready to strive in order to obtain something of a prize. When he says this, it's a fight for believers to finish their course and to keep their faith. He also says, I have finished. This one I can pronounce. It's uh, no more than five letters here. Taleo. That's pretty easy. I can say that one. He says, I've finished. Taleo means to complete, to complete something, to fulfill it. It also means to carry out the commands of another. Paul was not fighting his own fight. Paul was not completing or finishing his own race, though he was, but he was doing it all for the sake of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had set up the the instruction in the very beginning when Paul heard that first gunshot go off and he began his race as he was trucking down that track, God had set up the parameters of the race and Paul had to adhere or be faithful to the rules and regulations that God had established. And so therefore he, as I said, he carried out the commands of another. He says, I've finished my course. The course is the race, it's, it's my race, it's your race, and we are all running some type of race. Now, the sad truth is many are exhausted today. They've had moments where they were, uh, they were moments of excitement, moments of almost what seemed like a revival in their life. 
They were on fire for God. They were doing everything they could do for God. But then somewhere along the way, they burned themselves out and they became exhausted. And so many are out there running the race. And you could imagine a grand race, this wide track, all of these runners, each one with a different number on them. And some are lagging behind because they're absolutely exhausted running the race. And then others have almost given up. They're not even running the race anymore. If anything, they're barely walking to the end. And then others are being drugged across the finish line. Paul says, I have finished my course. And then he says, I have kept the faith. I have kept, that's tereo, which means to attend to carefully, to guard something. He has guarded the faith. This is the race for all believers, that we guard the faith, that we fight for the faith. And the faith is the greatest work of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is all that matters. He is the center of all that has purpose in life. Colossians 1.16 says, All things were made for his purposes. So what I want to do over the next three weeks is I want to talk about fighting the good fight. And what I want to put before you is this truth that there are three areas in our lives where we are going to fight as Christians. This is not a, necessarily a message for a call to salvation, though somebody will uh, hear the gospel here in the first part of it. But it's more of a truth that would help Christians to understand how can we fight the good fight. And the good fight is fought in three areas of our lives. Number one, it's an inward fight. You will fight an inward battle, trust me. Number two, there's an outward fight. You're going to fight with those things around you, people, circumstances, trials, tribulations, temptations. You're going to fight outwardly. But then thirdly, there's also an upward fight. Some of the basic things God's called us to do, study the Word, pray, look to Him, faith in Him, so forth and so on, that's going to be a battle as well. And over the next three weeks, with God's help, I pray that uh, we'll be able to look into these truths and understand how we can fight the good fight to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. First off, this, uh, this evening, we're going to talk about the inward fight. And the reason why I want to start here is because the inward fight is the beginning of the race. One must be running the right race and fighting the right fight before they can enjoy eternal success. The inward fight includes three things, salvation, submission, and sanctification. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. First off, we'll start with salvation. And I've got it listed like this. Number one, salvation by grace through faith. Now, Paul was saved on the road to Damascus. But prior to that, Paul was a hater of the church. He wreaked havoc on the church. He wanted to destroy the Christian church. And therefore, because of Paul's actions of of arresting Christians and throwing them in jail and also sentencing them to death in some cases, Paul was unworthy of eternal life. If anything, Paul deserved a devil's hell, and yet God moved upon him, and Paul repented and believed and was gloriously saved on the road to Damascus. This was the beginning of Paul's fight, the beginning of Paul's course and so he needed to know that he was saved, and then he also needed to find assurance concerning his salvation. Now, for anybody listening to me tonight, whether you're here in the building or you're on the camera, your race starts at salvation. 
You're not even entered into the contest until you're saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior by faith and faith alone, you're not running the race. You're alive. You're in the world. You have an end, sure. But it's not the race that Paul's talking about tonight. <clears throat> it starts with salvation. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, please. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The thing about salvation is, the reason why I want to start here is because this is an inward battle for some. And here's what you need to know. You need to know that you are saved tonight. You need to know it. And the reason why you need to know it is you're not going to run the race until you know that you're in, you're, that you're in the race, that you're a part of it, that you've joined, that you're running for Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. God's grace is what saves us, not water baptism, not church membership, no money whatsoever, no good works. God says our good works are but filthy rags in His eyes. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. Here you see, for by grace are you saved. But how? How am I saved? He says, through faith. Simply come to God by faith, believing what God has said in His Word, and a person can be saved and experience the grace of God. He goes on in the verse, he says that, not of yourselves, salvation is not of me, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When we all get to heaven and, we, and, and a million years have gone by, not one single person in heaven could ever say, I got myself here. We will all stand or kneel in awe of the Savior with the pierced hands in heaven because we'll say, He's the one who got me here. And that's it. For by grace are we saved through Faith, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Know that you are saved. How do you know that? Well, again, if you are trusting in anything other than the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by His authority, as we talked about this morning in the morning message, by His authority, He has declared that I am His simply because of my faith in what He said. If you're trusting in any kind of works whatsoever, then you are not saved tonight because it is by grace through faith. Now, here's something else that happens in our lives. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 16 with me. How can a person know that they're saved? Well, one thing is know that you've approached Christ by faith. But then also, Romans 8, 16, we read this. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Sometimes you might be sitting in a service and your heart's pricked, you're convicted, tears swell up in your eyes. You know God's speaking to you. Hey, you should praise God for that because that's the Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And we certainly need the witness of the Holy Spirit because He helps us, He guides us in all truth to bring us to the place of salvation initially with conviction, but after that He brings us further along in our Christian journey. And day by day, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's a witness there. 2 Corinthians, if you will, chapter 13, turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This inward battle is something that must be addressed so that you might fight the good fight, finish your course, keep the faith, so forth and so on. 
2 Corinthians chapter 13, look at this, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. We read in the Scriptures, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be a reprobate. We are told in Scripture to examine our own testimony of faith to be sure that we're in the faith. It's not blasphemous to God to ask God to confirm your salvation. It's not blasphemous to God to think at times, did I really get it straight? If anything, it honors the Lord because He says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. He says, prove your own selves. How do you prove it? You prove it according to the Word of God, things that I've already mentioned. Did you try to get in the family in any other way than faith in Christ? Does the Holy Spirit bear witness with your spirit at times, convicting your heart, challenging you to be better and to do better? This is not a measure of how much sin I've done. Hey, we all come short of the glory of God. I've made mistakes after I've been saved. I have sinned and I have struggles even today, and I've been saved since the age of 13. And I still have things that I battle with. That's not an indicator of my salvation. The indicator is how I approach the Lord. And then also afterwards, what followed in my, in my uh, relationship with Him. What does the Bible say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I have seen a change since I was saved up to now. It was gradual at times, it was extreme at other times, and then it slowed down at other times. But there has been a little bit of a change ever since I called on the Lord Jesus at that time. And that is a good indicator because I am trying to uh, let the old nature die and I'm trying to live in the newness of life for Christ. And that's what the Bible says. So to examine yourself, that's not a problem, but you want to prove based on the Word of God whether or not you are saved. Know that you're saved tonight. The second thing is, well, really let her be under, we're, we're still second point under our first point here. As we're talking about salvation by grace through faith, we should always get assurance from God's Word. Some people will struggle with their assurance because they're examining their lives more so than examining the Scriptures. But I want to point your attention to 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, verse 13. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I've quoted this passage before in the past. You may remember it, but I'll share it with you again tonight. John says this, and this is John in his older years, about 80, 90 years old here, coming to the end of his journey. And here's what John learned. John learned that our assurance must rest in the Word of God. It must it can't be just a just a feeling, just a false, uh, just a an empty profession. It must rest in what the Word of God has said. What is it? He says in First John chapter five verse thirteen: "These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. Why? And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God." See, the Word of God was written for our benefit so that I can go into the Scriptures and I can say, okay, I'm not sure if I'm saved, but what does the Bible say? The Bible says, whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, I did that. There's faith. Faith is in the Word of God. And then what follows? There's a change. There's a bearing witness of the Spirit. 
There's a desire to love the Lord. There's a desire to follow His commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So there's this, there's this new desire in me to want to honor my Savior. That's all proof. But where do I get that from? Not just from up here, but I get it from here. I get it from the Word of God. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life, and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying to the Father, and he was praying about believers. And here's what he didn't do. He didn't say, God, I sure pray that you'll give the believers assurance uh, based on um, themselves and their own wisdom and ideas and uh, just their good deeds. No, he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. So the word of God gives us assurance of our salvation. And here's what the devil likes to do. You can imagine with me that the devil has a, a tool bag. And in every life, he enters into a life, and he reaches down in his tool bag, and some people he gets out the, the liquor bottle, other people he gets out the, the needles or the marijuana, other people he gets out the pornography, other people he gets out other things, maybe it's money. He's got all kinds of things down in his tool bag, but the number one thing the devil often reaches for for just about everybody is discouragement. And if the devil can reach down in that bag and pull up discouragement and confusion and bring it up in your life and cause you to question your salvation, you'll never do anything for God. And you'll be the one who, instead of running hard down that racetrack, you'll be looking around saying, am I on the racetrack? Am I on the racetrack? Am I, am I actually a part of the race right now? Am I wearing a number? Do I have the right shoes on? Do I have the right clothes on? Am I running? And you will never run. You'll just be going in circles because you have no assurance of your salvation. To fight the good fight, you've got to get your salvation settled. Salvation is by grace, through faith. It is the work of God. It is not of us. By faith, come to the throne of grace, call on the name of Jesus, and leave the rest of it alone. And now it's on Him. And now you move on past trying to figure out if you're saved, and you go and serve the Lord. That's what you do for, 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 um, after you're saved and uh, for serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read about the uh, armor that's mentioned there. It says, put on the whole armor of God. And it goes through all these different elements of the armor, but one of those pieces is the helmet of salvation. And it's because up here is where the devil often attacks. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so the devil will stir things up in our minds and he'll manipulate our thinking and he'll try to tell you over and over again, you're not a child of God, you're not a child of God, you're not a child of God. And you know what that does? It causes you to be the runner in the middle of the track just spinning in circles and you're not actually running the race. Forget about the devil. The devil has no power apart from what God's given him. You put your faith and trust in Christ. You say, Christ is my Savior. He is Lord. He is King. And I am saved because I have placed my faith and trust in Him. And you go on and submit yourself to God and the devil will flee from you. James 4 confirms that. So the first thing is be saved by grace through faith. The second thing that I want to talk to you tonight about, and this one's hard too, if you will go over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And this brings to mind the passage I just shared with you. 
Second thing I want to talk to you about, about fighting the good fight, and we're talking about the inward battle right now. Where's the inward fight? Number one, you got to get your salvation settled. Number two, submission to God is paramount. Submission to God. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Many people try to resist the devil without submitting to God. You can't do that. By submitting to God, God now enters into your court. It's as if he puts the gloves on. You're standing there in the back like this, and he's about to fight the fight for you, and that's why the devil flees. That's why you're able to resist him. It's because you brought God into your corner by submitting to him. Submission to God is absolutely paramount for us to fight our fight. Many believers have fallen on the battlefields of faith simply because they have never submitted themselves to God. The word submit means to yield. Some time ago, the captain of a ship looked into the dark night and he saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalman to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command has been ignored, so he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am the seaman third class Jones. Immediately the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north, I am a lighthouse. you got to learn to yield sometimes. Don't let pride swell you up so big that you don't yield. That's what submission is. I yield to God. I yield to God. Submit here in the passage here of James chapter 4 verse 7. It has this idea of arranging in a military fashion under the command of a leader. Start yielding to God. This happens in two ways. Number one, begin with surrender. Just surrender. Wave the white flag. God, I'll no longer be in control of my life. It's yours. You have it. Wave the white flag of surrender to God and say, God, I'm tired of being stubborn. I'm tired of, tired of being rebellious. I'm tired of being swelled up with pride that I think I know everything. I can do everything. I can uh, accomplish it all in my own strength. Just wave that white flag of surrender and say, No, God, I need you to do it all for me. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my life, but thine. Surrender to the Lord. The second thing is that submission to God not only begins with surrender, but it also continues with reverence to God. I believe that's when a person gets to that place of surrender, when we begin to reverence God. Reverence is so important. Reverence is, uh, in the Bible, it speaks about reverence as fear. Fearing God is a type of reverence. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, we would read how it speaks about how important it is for us to yield ourselves reverence and surrender to God Almighty. Philippians chapter 4, if you'll turn there with me. Philippians chapter 4, and you'll look here. Good passage of Scripture, verse 6. Look what he says. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Watch this. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, that passage tells us that 
our surrender as well as our reverence of God is so important. Here's why. The word careful means to be anxious about something. Now, I don't know about you all, but if somebody gave me a million dollars, I wouldn't be too anxious about that. I'd be pretty happy about that. If somebody gave me a brand new car, I wouldn't be too worked up about that one, be anxious or concerned about it. I'd be like, thank you, Lord. That's easy to praise him for. Somebody comes and hands me the keys to a brand new house with a pool in the backyard. I wouldn't be upset about that. I'd say, thank you, Lord. That's wonderful. But how about when you go to the doctor because you've been having a little bit of an ache or pain inside, and he tells you, I'm sorry, sir, you've got cancer. I'm sorry, sir, we're going to have to do some serious surgery on you. We're going to have to remove this mess that you have inside your abdomen. That's when you go to God and it says, be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But look what it says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, there's your attitude, that's the pleading, the begging of God. God, help me. I'm in the midst of a trial. This is not a a nice house. This is not a nice car. This is not a million dollars. God, I am in the midst of a trial. But it says, but with thanksgiving. But God, I thank you for the trial. That's a person who has gotten to the place of surrender and reverence towards an almighty God. And that person is fighting the good fight all the way to the end. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That word fear is also defined as reverence. It means to stand in awe of God, to respect Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him. But the Bible goes on to say not only that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but I want you to listen to this one, Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. How many have ever thought of the fear of the Lord as being a fountain of life? Something I can go to, something I can find nourishment in, I can find, uh, I can find satisfaction in, I can quench a thirst that I might have, a craving that I might have. By the fear of the Lord, that is a fountain of life. See, it's so important as we fight this fight, this good fight, that not only that we know that we're saved by the grace of God, as we've already looked at, not by works of righteousness, not by water baptism, not by church membership, not by money, not by good deeds, but simply by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone we're saved. That puts me in the race to fight the good fight, but then I must get to the place of submitting to God in all things. And I surrender my life to Him. Lord, it's not my life any longer, it's Yours. And then I continue with reverence and honor and glory to God Almighty, realizing that my reverence for the Lord becomes a fountain of life to me, especially through the harder times of life. These are two things that I believe help us to fight the good fight. And these are this is an inward fight. This is something that I believe every believer battles with. Everyone struggles at some point or another with the assurance of salvation. Maybe I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people do. I know I've been there you got to get it settled. Know if you're saved or not tonight. It's by God's grace through your faith. And then the second thing is surrendering, or I'm sorry, uh, struggling with submission to God. Often people don't fight the good fight simply because they're not submitted to God. They say, God, my plans are better than your plans. God, I know your word is said for me to do this, but I'm not concerned about that because, God, I've got things I want to do. You're not submitted to God tonight. 
And if you're not submitted to God, then you're not fighting the good fight. And I doubt you'll ever get to the place where you'll truly finish your course and be able to say, I kept the faith, as Paul did in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. The third thing that I want to talk to you tonight about, and this will be concluding our message here, we'll find over in 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. And the third thing I believe we have to do in order to fight the good fight is we have to learn to sanctify the Lord in our hearts. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That means that this man's testimony, this woman's testimony, speaks for itself. And the reason why it does is because this person at some point sanctified the Lord in their heart. They set Him apart. The word sanctified means to consecrate to separate from profane things. It means to hallow. You know, the Lord Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11, verse 2. He says, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You remember that prayer? Hallowed be thy name. What's happening in the prayer? I'm, I'm sanctifying the Lord. I'm setting him apart from the profane things of this world. I'm recognizing His holiness, His righteousness, His perfection. I'm recognizing Him as my Creator. I'm seeing Him as the Almighty. See, I'm, 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 I'm sanctifying the Lord. And I believe that's an inward battle that every Christian fights. And the way to get victory of what you're going to do with your relationship now with Christ is to sanctify the Lord. To fight the good fight inwardly, you must sanctify the Lord God to a place of great holiness. Paul was fortunate enough to be a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was a religious man who was very traditional, very conservative in his ways of living. But for others today, this is a battle, especially in the profane world that we live in. If you are saved and submitting, you must learn to sanctify God in your life. And recognize him as one who is holy. Now, this is pretty important, and I've got a few passages I want to show to you. Go back to 2 Timothy with me. This is very important because of what it brings to mind as we sanctify God and we recognize him as holy. How many tonight with a hearty amen would say, God is holy? Do you believe it? Amen. Okay, God is holy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. We just all um, contested to that tonight. We said, He is holy. His foundation stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, watch this, depart from iniquity. All those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Don't live in sin anymore if you've named the name of Christ. Why? Because God is holy. That's why. Because God is holy. I'm sanctifying Him in my life, in my heart. He goes on to say, 
Nevertheless, uh, I'm sorry, verse 20, but in a great house there are not, not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Hey, this is the world and the lives that we live today. In you there are some holy things. In you there are some unholy things. In me there are some holy things, and there are some unholy things. In the world that we live in, there are vessels that are bringing honor to God, and there are vessels that are not bringing honor to God. But verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. You know what he's saying? If the Lord is holy and we believe his foundation stands sure, and if you've named the name of Christ, then depart from iniquity. Purge out those vessels that do not bring honor to God any longer. Purge out the things that dishonor the holy name of Christ. Purge them out of your life as a believer, and you will, in fact, fight the good fight. You'll finish the course, and you'll keep the faith. The reason we find 1 Corinthians chapter 6 mentions another truth. Let me take you here. Right there after the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 sanctification of the Lord in your heart because, number one, your body is His temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. You remember how in the first part we talked about how the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God? Hey, that's a wonderful thing. I'm so thankful for God giving me a, 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 a perpetual witness in my life. But also... That reminds me that my body is the temple of God and I am no longer my own, but it's the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells with inside me. He says, you are not your own, as it concludes there in verse 19, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, to fight the good fight, the inward fight is that I have to sanctify the Lord in my heart. I have to recognize that God is holy, as we mentioned earlier. I have to set Him aside as someone who is holy. And then I recognize that, wait, if God is holy and God is in me, then I should strive, fight, contend to live a holy life to the glory of my Creator. And the second thing we find is over in the book of Galatians. Go to the right there in your Bible, right past 2 Corinthians, and you'll grab Galatians. Look at chapter 2 with me. As we sanctify the Lord in our hearts, we recognize that our body is His temple, but also that our life is now His life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Paul is simply saying, I now live differently because I love Christ. You know, a lot of times people get hung up on the do's and don'ts of the Christian life. I'll be honest with you, the Bible says that, uh, Paul said, it is lawful unto me uh, to do just about anything. He mentions that, uh, in his writings, and I can't grab a hold of the exact phrase that he used there. Maybe it'll come to me here in a second. But the idea was that because of Christ's 
death, burial, and resurrection, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, past, present, and future. So if a person wanted to, you could go out here and lawlessly live your life and sin to the utmost. And according to the Word of God, you still wouldn't lose your salvation. But I'll tell you this much, with the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you, a child of God would never do that. And the Bible says, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you say, Brother Tim, why do you live the way you do? Because I love Jesus. I love my Lord. Why do you dress a certain way? I dress, I dress this way because I love my Lord. Why do you use certain language? Because I love my Lord. Why do you read your Bible every day? Because I love my Lord. Why do you pray? Because I love my Lord. Why do you witness? Because I love my Lord. The list goes on and on. Why do I listen to certain types of music? Because I love my Lord. I don't want to poison this temple any longer. I don't want to put profane things in this place that the Holy One dwells in. I love my Lord, and therefore that's why I'm obedient to His commands. It's not a work salvation. It's a salvation by grace. My works simply prove that I love my Lord. And when it comes to the inward battle, sanctification of the Lord is paramount as well as submission simply because our bodies are His temple, our lives are His lives, or, or yeah, are His lives, and all that we have is, is His now that we have been saved. And therefore, we must sanctify the Lord in our hearts and not in a shallow, vain sort of way, but as it says in Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Approach God with a pure heart tonight. One man said this about sanctification. He said, sanctification is not a sprint or a dash but it is a long marathon with twists and turns. And it's not about speed, but it's about endurance. Make it all the way to the end. I was thinking earlier as I was building the message, and I've been building the message all throughout the week, but you know, I was thinking about how many casualties there have been out there in the Christian circle, how many pastors overnight it seemed like they got a church packed slam full of people only to end up in adultery and ruin their entire ministry. Christians who get saved and excited for the things of God but burn out within just a few months to a year. Others who uh, faithfully serve in some other area of ministry, a Sunday school class, a choir, whatever it is, and then next thing you know, they fall out again. They didn't realize that it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Our Christian journey is all the way to the end, little by little, consistently and faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ all the way until the very end. That might be in a small ministry. It may be, it may be just teaching a little Sunday school class. It may be singing in a small choir. It may be in your workplace, and that's all you do there, but it's faithfully all the way to the end. Run that race and run it with endurance. Go for the long haul. And it takes time to do that. And you'll struggle with these inward fights of salvation, get your assurance down, submission, wave that white flag of surrender to the Lord, 
and even sanctification, realize God is holy. And therefore, we should be holy too. And that's what the Father said. He said, I'm holy, and therefore, you should be holy. This is the inward battle that every believer will face, and we must overcome these challenges. Otherwise, we'll never fight the good fight. And that's what we've been called to do. Be saved by grace, submitted to God, and sanctify the Lord in your heart. I have one last passage for you, Philippians chapter 3, and then I'm done. Philippians chapter 3. Paul had never seen himself as done until his life came to its end. As he ran his race, he had to leave behind much of what he thought he knew, his former life, his former views and other things, and he had to reach forth towards the new life that Christ had given him. And we see that he gives nod to that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul left behind the old life, the old man, the old nature. He left it behind and he reached forth towards that newness of life that he has in Christ. And I believe to fight the good fight, that's in, in exactly what we'll have to do tonight as we confront these areas of battle here with the inward man. Salvation, submission, and sanctification. Amen. If you will, stand to your feet tonight, heads bowed, eyes closed. And I appreciate you all being faithful to be here for the message time. And I pray tonight's message maybe has helped you some. And as we look to close the service out here, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. To start with, I'll start with the first one. How many here tonight would say, I have absolute assurance of my salvation and I am on my way to heaven with the uplifting of the hand? Amen. Praise the Lord. How many would be so bold as to say tonight, I have submitted my life to God. I have waved the white flag of surrender and I am fighting the good fight tonight with the uplifting of the hand. How many would say that? Amen. And then the last one is, how many would say, I have sanctified the Lord in my heart, and I recognize that this body of mine is His temple, and that my life is His life. How many would lift up their hand and say, that's me tonight? Amen. Ronnie's going to sing tonight a song, and as he <laughs> sings, it could be that there's a battle you have right now that you're dealing with. And if there is, the altar's open tonight. You're welcome to bring it up here. And I pray you'll make all things right with the Lord tonight so that we all can fight the good fight, can finish our course, and can continue to keep the faith as Ronnie sings tonight. Won't you come? Ronnie's going to sing one more verse. If you have anything you need to bring to the altar tonight, it is open. Won't you come?
Amen. You can go ahead and look this way. Thank you all for being here tonight. We praise the Lord for uh, being with us today and allowing us to gather in this place. And I do pray all hearts are right tonight. And I want to encourage you to just keep fighting that good fight. It's a fight worth fighting. And I pray you'll keep doing that. Uh, we'll pick up with the second part of this series next Sunday night, so try to be here for that, and uh, we'll talk about the outward fight, and that's a big one as well. But I hope you all have a wonderful week, and uh, look forward to seeing you on Wednesday at uh, 6 o'clock if you can make it, and then don't forget about homecoming next Sunday, and that'll be uh, uh, kicking off with the Sunday school class, and then we'll have a meal to follow the 11 o'clock service. Be sure to invite your friends and family. And let's look to have a good day in the Lord. And also pray for the meeting this week, if you will. Pray for that homecoming meeting, okay? And then some of us men will be meeting to demo this room back here if we get a good turnout. So if you're up for that, let me know after the service. And that way I can get a head count, all right? Amen. Thank you all for being here. Cleve, close us with a word of prayer tonight. Thank you.